Well, good morning, Wellington. Woke up this morning and uh, saw the weather outside, and I was thinking, what a perfect spring day. (laughs) Which it is when you come from Calgary, which we do. So (laughs) I was rather excited this morning. (laughs) I don't know all of you were, but I thought this was awesome. Uh, excited that you're here. I would invite you to pull out your uh, sermon insert. There are some resources at the bottom of that uh, outline that I just want to draw uh, your attention to that um, if you want further reading or, or information or communication with us, it gives, tells you how to do that uh, at the bottom of the page there. This morning, a message is entitled, Hashtag Me Too, Hashtag Freedom. It's the third message in our series on human sexuality. And uh, if you've been uh, turning the TV on at all, you would recognize hashtag freedom as a reference to uh, the sexual harassment uh, sort of movement that's happened in Hollywood where people are finally uh, making public some of the big issues uh, that have been there. And we're talking about that this morning, but I didn't want to leave the name at that because uh, you'll notice uh, the Hollywood piece is good because the abuse of power has been elevated and, and brought into the light, which is incredibly important. Uh, but if you uh, watch the Oscars at all, the color for the hashtag MeToo movement was black. And on one hand, I understand because terrible things have happened. But as Christ followers, uh, we can't leave it there. That's why I had to add the title hashtag freedom. That's why I'm dressed rather brightly this morning. is because we're not, stuck, we're not stuck in the Me Too because God brings us into freedom. And that's what we want to speak about this morning through a very difficult topic. Uh, For today's purpose, I do want to define, before we begin, a definition of sexual abuse. I don't assume that everyone uh, knows uh, what it means. Uh, So I'm specifically today talking about the sexual abuse which occurs when someone older, stronger, or more experienced coerces a child or adolescent into sexual activity. Uh, If that happened to you, you were sexually abused. The abuser uh, may have won your trust and then violated and violated you. They may have compounded the abuse by forcing you to keep quiet and making you feel responsible for the abuse. Now, sexual abuse uh, doesn't refer only to sexual touching. If you were forced as a child to watch uh, sexual activity or pornography, that is also abuse. If an adult continually invaded your privacy Uh, by watching you inappropriately or making sexualized comments, that is also abuse. These are important issues in our day. Why? If you look at the statistics in uh, Stats Canada or in, uh, if you read counselors, on a given weekend in Willingdon, uh, given our average attendance here, uh, there would be 1,200 to 1,600 men and women who have been sexually abused. Every weekend uh, at Willingdon. That's the percentages. So it's obviously an incredibly significant portion uh, of society, and that's why we thought in the series we needed to address it. And while supportive friends and family are obviously important, professional counseling is important for healing, but even more important, I would say, is to know who you are in the eyes of God and what he has for you and his purposes for you in relationship, regardless of what your story is, whether it's the pain of abuse or some other pain in your past. So my my point this morning is every abuse victim can find freedom from their past and hope for their future. Every abuse victim can find freedom from their past and hope for their future. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive in. 
Father, I want to thank you as we sang. You're a good, good father, regardless of what perhaps our human father experiences have been. You are a good father. You love us. You sent your son to die for us. When we respond to, to the act of Jesus' forgiveness by believing in him, you call us your own. You adopt us into your family. And your healing work begins in us as we begin to learn to live out the identity that you've given us and created us with. So, Father, as this morning, as we walk through this next half hour, I pray that those who are stuck in pain will find freedom, will understand how you think about them and what you invite them to. I pray that as, as we think about the relationships we have and perhaps of others that we know who are stuck, Father, we can be agents of healing and reconciliation. Thank you for your goodness and your love, God, and for what you want to say to us and speak into our hearts and what you want to do in our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to begin with my story. I was raised in a wonderful, uh, stable, uh, immigrant home, Christian home. My parents immigrated into Canada in about 1957 with my two older sisters. Uh, several, years, several years later, I was born uh, into this wonderful, loving home, you know, good, strict immigrant parents and, uh, who loved God and, and did their best to raise us in wonderful ways to have the life that they never had uh, where they came from through the, the war-torn experiences that they had. And uh, that was my whole neighborhood. That's the kind of kids I hung out with, uh, and we had a great time. And uh, that happened for the first decade in my life, really enjoyed that, uh, that growing up experience. When I was 11 years old, uh, my middle sister, who's eight years older than I am, got married. And I was excited. I thought, finally, I'm going to have the brother I never had. You know, too much estrogen in the house. Time to get some more testosterone in here. And uh, very excited about that. But instead of getting the brother-in-law I had hoped for, I got the nightmare I never wanted. So uh, when, I, um, when I was about uh, 12 years old, my sister and her husband moved to Winnipeg, where we were living, uh, and my brother-in-law started to groom me and entice me into sexual abuse, is what ended up happening. And that abuse uh, lasted for several years. Fortunately, I was able to stop it. And I would, but at the same time, I was riddled with guilt, with anger, with shame, uh, deep feelings of insecurity and confusion, which in effect guaranteed my silence. And so even though I had incredible anger focused on the perpetrator, who, as I said at the time, was part of our family, uh, that anger, of course, couldn't be compartmentalized, so it spills out wherever, uh, on, and often on my parents. And they would also wonder why I was so mad at this person who had entered our family. But I was too ashamed and confused to tell anyone what had happened. In fact, as I look back, for a number of years, uh, and I think it's through the gift of self-protection that God gives us, uh, I never actually thought of myself as abused. I would hear other stories, perhaps once in a while in the news or something. Well, that's terrible that that happened to somebody. It was only in my late teens when I realized that those, those stories could have been about me. It, it didn't click for me until my late teens when I finally realized that was me. Now, as a result of the turmoil in my family and my personal life, uh, I desperately wanted to fit in with my peers. I didn't want to be at home. Uh, and, uh, but of course, I wouldn't turn my anger on my peers because that's where I was finding, I was looking for significance and identity and, uh, and all those kinds of things. And I didn't want to be rejected. 
I felt trapped. I felt incredibly unhappy with myself. As a result, I was a people pleaser. Uh, and when I began, you know, into junior high and so on, I, I, uh, uh, I dated often. I usually had a girlfriend. And I realized what I, later on that I was looking to a girlfriend to val- validate who I was as a man. You see, I was ashamed because my body had responded to the physical touch of a man, so I was afraid I was going to be gay. And back then, no one talked about abuse, the effects of abuse, or anything else in sexuality, so whatever you picked up, it was from the street or TV or somewhere. And, uh, and so I was confused, and that was part of the way that that showed up in my life. One of the realities, uh, just as a side note, is when you're being abused... Uh, there's often a lot of shame uh, at, because your body is responding to the touch. And you need to know that you, your body, your, your nervous system does not know where stimulation comes from. So on one hand, you have this emotional confusion and mental confusion going on, but your, your body is responding to the touch of, a, of your abuser and it creates incredible confusion for a victim. And they can often hate their own body because of it. Even though your body is responding in God-given ways to the way he made us, but it's supposed to be in the right environment. So my own private little hell was growing and, uh, and I was believing lies about myself and the shame that I was experiencing. I didn't recognize the dysfunction in my life or in my family and I had no one to confide in. Uh, to add to my frustration and my confusion, this was the 1970s and as I said, no one was talking about abuse, not church, school or society. And so the, the faith community I was raised in like I say, it was an immigrant community. Most of them were folks like my parents, uh, very pietistic, wanting to honor God. And so their desire for their children was that you would uh, make a decision to follow Jesus uh, you know, at a young age, get baptized, and then uh, you know, attend church frequently and uh, demonstrate the good public morals of that belief system, and, um, uh, which I usually describe as, you know, don't drink, don't drink, dance, or smoke, or go with girls who do. That was kind of the, the moral code of the day. Uh, you know, if you did that, it was good. And of course, no one addressed these kinds of issues uh, in any context. When my church discovered that my brother-in-law uh, was involved in, ad- in adulterous gay affairs uh, on my sister, um, you know, there was a church discipline kind of set up. There was a letter read on his behalf. You know, they left the church, and that was the end of it. The, the abuse never came out at that point. Just the adultery did. Uh, but no more conversation. And uh, nothing more happened. And no one knew how to deal with it. I really feel sorry for my parents because they were wondering what in the world is going on and, uh, with their daughter. And, and, uh, but struggled in isolation in so many ways. So even though I had made a decision uh, to follow Christ when I was 18 years old... Uh, my past wouldn't let go of me. It kept infringing on my life, my emotions, my understanding of sex, my relationships. And I was plagued by thoughts of, of what if people find out what happened to me? Would they think it was my fault? Or worse yet, would they think that I enjoyed it? Or that I had been a, w- a willing participant somehow? They must never, ever find out. That's what I was thoroughly convinced and convicted of. Satan's greatest tool in his mission, which is to lie, to steal, and destroy the life that God wants for us. 
is to convince us that his lies are truth. And these are the kinds of lies that he whispers into the pain of our lives, whether it's abuse or anything else that we're ashamed of or feel guilty over. Whispers, he whispers, you are unlovable. You got what you deserved. Your abuse was your fault. Your body's response to the touch of an abuser means you liked what he or she did to you. Your body is dirty. Sex is dirty. God will never accept you. People will never accept you. You had better hide your secret. You can't tell anyone. You're a lousy Christian if this is still bothering you. Other lies I've heard in society or even in the church are lies like, well, you just need to forgive and forget. Get over it. Or lies that we hear from family, perhaps. And I've read these stories many times where we'll hear, say, a, uh, a, sister, a, a daughter is abused by the son. And the parent says, oh, boys will be boys. You know, or a parent is covering up for spouse or relatives and saying things like, you know, dad or brother or mom or, or uncle or aunt. Well, they're just weird. They're just straight. They're just strange. You know, just leave it alone. And so actually in protecting the family, the abuser is victimized, or the, abuse, the abused person is victimized again and again and again. And the fear that we will be rejected if the truth about us is found out often keeps victim in prison in their pain and the past. And the fear that we will break the family apart can guarantee silence. When really it's the family system that is re-victimizing the victim again and again. But it is facing that fear, the fear that what happens if we speak up, where freedom is actually found. And there are three points in your outline that I'm going to walk us through. First one is Jesus frees us to discover our true identity. Jesus frees us to discover our true identity. Our greatest longing as people is to be loved and accepted. That's what everyone wants in this world. Why? Because God put that in you and in me. Last weekend, uh, Dr. Yuan did such a great job of, of unpacking our identity in Christ. And I want to touch back on that uh, just briefly because it's bookended in Genesis and the book of John. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, it's this wonderful verse which says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You are made in the image of God. That's why every life has intrinsic values because you are made in the image of God. God says you are valuable. God says that I love you. God says that you are special because you are my creation. That is why every Christ follower needs to be pro-life throughout the whole spectrum of life. Because you are valuable. Each one of you are created in the image of God. Author Bob George, in his book, Classic Christianity, writes, A person has no identity apart from his relationship with someone or something else. That's why we will latch onto anything in our desperate need to discover who we are. There is only one way to discover your identity that cannot be shaken. One foundation that cannot be taken from you. And that is that I am a child of God. Now, you might be a child of God who happens to be a businessman or a mother or an athlete or something else, but the core source of your identity is with God as Father. Only in this way can you begin to discover true security and true freedom. 
So what does it mean to have our identity with the Father? Well, as I said, you're created in the image of God. And then that comes into full fruition when you understand that God sent his son, Jesus, to have, so that we could have a relationship with God the Father who is our creator. And so Jesus took care of the sin, took care of anything that separates us from the Father. And when we respond to that and become a Christ follower, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our sins are forgiven, and we receive a new identity in Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who receive him, who believed in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. New identity, new family adopted in. God's family. But what does that look like then? Well, we'll jump to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, God raised us, Christ followers, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay, that can sound abstract, but what does that functionally mean? Uh, The first chapter of Ephesians, verses 21 and 22, say, there in the heavenly realms, Christ rules over all forces, authorities, powers, and rulers. He rules over all beings in this world and will rule in the future world as well. God has put all things under the power of Christ for the good of the church. He has made him head over everything. Okay, let me summarize this for you. As a Christ follower, your identity is that of a child of God. As a child of God, you're seated in the heavenly realms beside Jesus. Jesus, who rules there, has power and authority over everything, every principality and every power. There is nothing that is out of his reach. There is nothing that he does not have authority over. That is who rules. That is who you sit beside positionally, which means that is where freedom and hope comes from. God's arm is not too short, as he would say in the Old Testament, to deal with whatever pain, with whatever your story is, with whatever has been done to you, or with whatever you have done to others. Because he rules in the heavenly realms, and as Christ followers, you're seated beside him, which means his power and authority can deep, can reach into whatever your story is and whatever has happened. That means that victory is in Jesus literally. It's not just a saying. It's true. It's absolutely true. And so we can then actually recognize the lies of the evil one who tries to get us to buy into self-sufficiency, tries to believe and get us to buy into hopelessness and insecurity and false guilt, just to name a few. He tries to get us to deny our past and say that doesn't matter anymore rather than actually walking through the healing process so that we live with hope and joy in the future. There's four quick things I want to just point out in, that we need to change our mindset in as we're walking towards healing. First one is, and this is in your notes, we try to change our behavior instead of the underlying belief that determines our behavior. So I I had all this anger seething inside of me. So I could have gone to anger management. Well, that's great. That's a coping mechanism and I learned some good tools. But at the end of the day, I have to deal with why I'm angry in the first place. That's where healing resides. So it's not just about my behavior. It's actually determining the under, what the, dealing with the under, underlying belief that determines my behavior. Secondly, we focus on ourselves and what we should do instead of focusing on God and what he has already done. If I focus on what I need to do, I try and create a, some kind of barter system with God where somehow I'm going to earn my way to God or earn my way to validation or earn my way to the respect of others rather than realizing my identity is in Christ. He is my heavenly father. He declares me good enough because of everything he has done, not because of anything I have done. 
and therefore I reside with Christ in the heavenly places. My heavenly father says, I love you. I care for you. You are my child. I think you're great. I have a future and a plan for you. That's how he looks at us. Thirdly, we rely on our own efforts instead of trusting God and living by the power of the spirit. When we've been through trauma, often we don't trust anyone, including God. So we inhibit the Holy Spirit from working in our lives to bring healing, peace, and hope. You can have made a decision to follow Jesus, but actually push him away in the process and not let the Spirit come and do the work the Spirit wants to do to actually get rid of that junk in your life and live in freedom and in hope. And often it shows up because we try and control. And friends, often this shows up most clearly uh, in our, in our like post-35, 40 years of age. Because we've pushed it down and suddenly we can't control things anymore. Suddenly our children are the age we are when we were abused and all kinds of triggers start going off. All kinds of things start happening. And we think, oh, that doesn't matter anymore. And why am I suddenly anxious and depressed at 40? That's why, if this is in your story. Fourthly, we accept a failure identity instead of appropriating our true identity in Jesus Christ. We keep telling ourselves that we will never be enough rather than realizing that Jesus is more than enough to heal and transform us. How do you know if this is an issue for you? Think about the messages that run through your head if something goes wrong in your day, if you make a mistake. We all have a mental track that runs. What are the words you say to yourself when you make a mistake? Did you say, oh, I made a mistake, oh, that's too bad? Or do you say, oh, that was stupid, or I'm stupid. I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. I'll never measure up. People find out who I really am, they won't accept me. Friends, whatever that mental track is in your head tells you what you really believe about yourself and what you believe about God. And the evil one tries to get you to buy into the wrong track in your head rather than the reality of you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, I am pleased with you, I have a purpose and a plan for your life, I've called you to be my own, you are my child, I adore you. I've given you my spirit to live fully and completely the way I've called you to live. I have a purpose and a plan for you. Let's celebrate all the good I am doing in your life and through your life and enjoy this world together. That's God's word for you, friends. So how does that switch? Simple illustration. There's a farmer with a dog. And the farmer sits on his porch regularly. The dog lies beside the farmer and they're enjoying their sunset years. Friends come by to talk to the farmer. So a friend drops by and he's talking to the farmer. They're having a discussion. How are the crops? Wasn't the snow great this morning? Hope there's enough moisture. And, uh, and the dog is complaining and moaning and making all kinds of... Finally, the friend goes, what is with your dog? So annoying. And the farmer says, oh, he's lying on a nail. But it doesn't hurt enough for him to move. I was lying on a nail for much of my life. See, often we're lying on a nail, but if the fear of where we, of movement is too great, we will deal with the pain of where we are and actually not find freedom. I got to the place where I was too uncomfortable where I was and I finally had to take God at his word and step into what he would have for me. 
because I knew, I, I knew he had something better for me, but I was scared to go there. I was scared to go there. You see, my past is my story. Your past is your story. But your future can be God's. And I wanted my future to be him. So second major point, Jesus frees us to live in freedom. He actually frees us to live in the freedom he talks about. Not just as a spiritual concept, but as a, uh, a lived out reality. Freedom is the assurance that your needs for security, significance, love, acceptance, and worth are met in Jesus. That's what freedom is. Freedom is recognizing that Christ's sufficiency cannot be taken away by our circumstances or our story. It is recognizing that Christ is more than enough and that whatever we're going through cannot change that. It means that we are actually free to choose because we have to choose freedom. We actually have to choose it. So what did I choose? I could choose whether I would let my past own me. I could choose if my future would be determined by my past. I could choose whether I would hold on to anger and bitterness and rage and distrust and self-pity. Friends, remember that your past is your story, your present is where you are making decisions, and your future is up to you. You do not need to be stuck in your past. If you let your past determine your future, it is because of a choice that you are making in your present. If you let your past determine your future, it's because choices you make today. People say, I, I, I can't help it. I can't do anything. I go, yeah, you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can choose whether I want to be healthy and whole. That is my choice. I am not a victim. I may have been victimized, but I am not a victim. I just have a story. You have a story. We all have a story. And God in his grace actually talks about this choice in the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 4 to 6, which is the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to their third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What does that have to do with this? It's quite simple. God's saying, uh, I want no other gods before me. I need to be first. Worship me. Now, for those who have refused to do that, who have made decisions to, to make sinful decisions, to push God aside, to have some other idolatry, some other thing they worship in their lives, he said those decisions, they can get passed on to the third and fourth generation because as each generation makes a decision to continue the sin they learned from their parents. They're not saying the sin of the parents is forced upon each generation. What they're saying is you learned that and if you keep doing that, then this, this is going to keep going down generation to generation. But he also says wonderfully, he says that, uh, that he will also show love, steadfast love to thousands who love me uh, and keep my commandments. Other translations say that my blessings will go on for thousands of generations. So here's your ratio. Three and four generations versus thousands. That's a pretty good ratio. Here's how it works out. The person who abused me was abused by a, uh, a farmhand on their family farm who was older than him. So there's two generations. I'm the next generation. 
There's three generations. What this tells me is each generation can make a decision. When I discovered this in the reality of God, I said, you know what? This stops here because of who Jesus is, what he's done in my life. This does not need to be handed down to my boys. It's over. It's done. I'm going to take the, the, the generations of blessing for thousands. That's the one I'm going to claim. And that's where I'm going to go. Not because anything I've done, but because everything he has done. And he gives me the strength to do that. He gives me the freedom to go for healing, for counseling, to walk in community, for shame to be removed from my life. So this story that I tell you today is just a story. It's my experience. It's not my identity. Same for you, whatever it may be. So I look at that, friends, and I go, wow. In the Old Testament, God said, there's a way for this to stop. There's a way for this to end. Here's the other beauty. Often, abuse is within family systems. Most of the time, three and four generations are alive at the same time. You can actually deal with this when everyone's alive. It can actually be face-to-face even, if real, true generational healing can happen. God says, when everyone's alive, you can deal with this. And then the blessings can go on and on and on and on. Isn't that beautiful? And then I pick up the New Testament, and as I'm reading one of my favorite passages, Luke 4, 18 and 19, I realized personally the full impact of this, where Jesus stands up in the synagogue, pulls out the, the scroll of Isaiah, quotes Isaiah 61, and says, the, Spirit's Lord has come, the, the, the Lord's Spirit has come to me because he has chosen me to tell the good news to the poor. The Lord has sent me to announce freedom for the prisoners, to give sight to the blind, to free everyone who suffers, and to say, this is the year the Lord has chosen. And there's context around all that, and I preached on that back in December. Uh, but there's a, a piece for that that became, of that that became so personal for me because I'm reading that, and suddenly I go, wait a minute. I was in a prison of unforgiveness and hatred, and he freed me from that. He gave me the sight to see what was going on and what he did for me, what Jesus did for me. I no longer need to be a prisoner. I don't have to suffer anymore. This is the year the Lord has chosen. It's the year of freedom. And if you've never made that choice, friends, you can make it today. This can be the beginning of a new life for you. You don't have to be stuck in your past. Whether you don't know Christ and the new life is knowing him, or actually you do know him, but this has haunted you for years. And that's my final point, is that Jesus frees us to forgive. He frees us to forgive. There was a gift God gave me when I became a Christ follower. So I, uh, I went to Bible school as a non-Christian, actually, in Colorado, and, uh, which is a whole other story. Uh, it's amazing how God works. Uh, but after I was there for a while, I gave my life to Christ. And even though I had this Christian upbringing, it was the first time when I truly gave everything. I said, I am all yours, Jesus. All yours. Every nook and cranny in my life. And that Christmas, then I went back to Winnipeg. I come home. My brother-in-law at the time is still in the family. My historic response to being in the same room in him as him is that my fists clench. And, I, and the only thought in my head is, give me a reason. And I grew up in this nice, you know, pacifistic home. And at that point, my definition was, yeah, I'd like to pass you a fist. That would be, <laughs> you know, my definition of pacifist. 
And, uh, and it was a German home to boot. So, you know, high emotion was, you know, my dad, you know, if he's really excited, his eyebrow goes up a quarter of an inch. It's like, ooh, okay, look out. So those two things are running and no one talks about this stuff. Nobody knows about this stuff. Right? So that's what I'm kind of expecting. I get, I get home, brother-in-law walks in and suddenly I realize my fists aren't clenching. I look at him and I feel pity and compassion for this messed up soul. And I went, oh my goodness, God, that, that was you. That certainly wasn't me. Now, I still had to learn how to live a, differently. But that piece was this supernatural gift that God happened to give me. That doesn't happen with everyone. It happened to me. And I'm so grateful for that. Now, my boundaries needed to be high. Uh, you know, I wasn't stupid. I was forgiven, but I wasn't stupid. Um, in how to walk in that situation. But I realized what God had done and what, what forgiveness does. And then learning to continue to walk in forgiveness and to choose in forgiveness. Choose forgiveness. Not lighthearted forgiveness, but actually deep forgiveness where I had to name each of the sins that were committed against me. I forgive for that. And I will release justice into the hands of God because he is just and he is holy and he says he will judge one day. So I will release that into his hands instead of wanting to keep that in my own. I go, God, that's your job, not mine anymore. And God says, this is the impact on us if we don't forgive. If you go to Jesus' teaching in the book of Matthew at the end of the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's so easy to read that and think, oh, this is a formula. If I do, if I don't do this, bad things are going to happen. If I do this, good things are going to happen. This is deeper than that. What he's actually saying is if you do not forgive other people, following the model of Christ, who of course hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If you do not follow that example and the forgiveness that God has given you, if you harbor unforgiveness against others, it actually prevents the fullness, the full power of God's forgiveness impacting your life. So unforgiveness is actually self-limiting, is what it is. You limit God's impact on you when you do not forgive. It's not saying, oh God, I can't, but I'm going to get everything from you. God's actually saying, no, I actually can't give it to you because you won't let go of this other thing. It's like you got something in your hand and I can't give you what I want to put in your hands because you won't let go of the other thing, which is unforgiveness. That's why Jesus taught us that. Unforgiveness interferes with God's forgiveness of us. And perpetrators may have not seen how they, you know, people say, well, should I go forgive them? Or what do I say? Do I confront them? Each situation is unique. Often perpetrators do not see the pain they have caused. They're too self-absorbed in their own world, very often. But just like God enabled me to forgive my abuser, God freed me from anger and feelings of retribution. God can forgive and free you. He forgives you for your sin in your life and he, and he can free you from unforgiveness of others. He can free you from hate. He can free you from evil. He can free you from all those bondages. He can free you from indifference because indifference can say, well, that doesn't bother me anymore. Have you forgiven? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That can create a stronghold in us. And when we are unforgiving, when we have hatred or indifference towards 
those who have hurt us. We actually are binding ourselves to the power of evil because it is believing the lie that God's forgiveness is not enough to speak into that scenario where we are being unforgiven, unforgiving. And Matthew, the book of Matthew talks about as Christ follows, you have the, the power to bind and to loose. Those are spiritual realities. And actually when we live in hatred and accusation and we live in hatred and unforgiveness, we actually are binding ourselves to the evil one. We are giving him a place in our heart by our decision. He has no power to be there unless we say that he can be. And that's what we do by that. Or perhaps we have to forgive authorities who never stood up or parents who never protected us. Or perhaps like in my case, having a family member say, why did you let him do that to you? Which is again, just heaping more shame on a victim. You go, I was 12 years old. I trusted him. I should have been able to trust him. But to forgive that. Friends, we don't want evil to have any stronghold in our heart. And it's up to us to actually live in the authority of, that Jesus gives us for that not to be happened to us. Jesus gives us authority over powers, over authorities, over principalities through prayer. We are to loosen every bondage, whether it is sexual, psychological, spiritual, uh, physical, every kind of bondage. We are to stand against evil and say, hell no, you have no place here. I am a child of the king. My life is his. I'm under his authority. Satan, be gone from me in the name of Jesus. That's why whenever I pray for people, one of the things I, you'll hear me pray regularly is, is Holy Spirit, come and show the lies that this person is believing and replace them with the truth of your word and the reality of the presence of the Spirit. Because he wants to give us that. And uh, John, James chapter 4 talks about, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, the reality of who you are in him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And when we forgive, actually... We disconnect the abuser from us. We release them. We accept who God is and we can walk in freedom and the wonder of forgiveness. Every enemy is bound when we participate in forgiveness. Forgiveness allows me to pursue healing, to set boundaries, to forgive those who say inappropriate things to me. It enables me to deal with shame and justice and relationships through taking the steps of counseling and community or whatever I need to do to be whole. Forgiveness makes sure that my past doesn't own me and it doesn't need to own you either. Give your life to Christ. And if your life is in Christ, then submit this area of pain or unforgiveness that you may have to him. Do not live in fear. Give your fear to him. Do not believe the, eyes of the, en- the lies of the enemy who wants you to hide in fear and secrecy. One last thing I do want to say. I know in a crowd this size... Chances are that there are people here uh, who are abusers or, or who have been. I urge you to give yourself to Jesus. Come clean. Go to the authorities. Quit justifying your actions. Seek help. Trust God to bring you new life. Give it to Jesus. Start over. And let that generational sin end here this day. No more. God loves you, 
And freedom begins with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your incredible grace and goodness in my life, and I know in the life of thousands. This story, my story is not unique. It's repeated every day. And Father, I thank you for that. Father, I pray for those who don't know you, Lord, that they would make that decision to come to know you today, to accept you as leader and forgiver and friend, to come forward for prayer or go to the Welcome Center and say, I want to follow Jesus. For those who are stuck in unforgiveness or in pain, Lord, that they would say, no more lies of the enemy. I want to be free. I've been lying on that nail long enough. And I pray for the courage to step forward, to talk to a trusted friend, a counselor, a pastor, to receive prayer, to walk in healing and wholeness because you are, Father, the great forgiver. You are the great healer of our hearts and our minds, our bodies, our lives. And thank you, Father, that our past is our story, our present we can step in with you, and our future can be yours. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. The worship team is going to play another song, and I'm going to ask you to stand. If you would like to come for prayer, uh, we have folks ready to pray with you uh, for anything that the Lord's laid on your heart. Uh, If not, just join us in worship.